This is the Live Life Aggressively podcast. Mike Muller, Sincere Hogan, and another great week, another great guest. Uh, we have our buddy, Vince McConnell, on the line today. Vince, I'm good. Doing? I'm good. It's good. Yeah, man, it's good to be on the show. Yeah, we, we've both been following your work for a while, and a lot of our listeners know who you are, of course. And also, listeners, you may notice that the audio is much better this week. Hey, you can hear Mike now. <laughs> so, so to yeah. that one listener out there, looks like Santa Claus came in a little early for Mike and brought him his microphone for Christmas. Yeah, I'm going to send that guy a bill. That guy said, uh, I hope Santa brings Mike a microphone. I'll be like, no, you did, though. And here's the bill for it. <laughs> that was hilarious, man. Got to love our listeners. Love your honest feedback, people. Love it. So obviously, you can tell we listen to you. Mike got a new microphone. So there you go. <laughs> We're paying exactly. attention. We're paying attention, no doubt. We, we both upgraded our microphone, so Vince is actually our honorary guest with the upgraded system here. Vince, how's oh, wow, everything going? Wow. Yeah, it's how's good. That? It's good. Busy as always. Anytime I say that when I'm talking to um, to a colleague or any, you know, you guys, and I say everything's good and it's busy, I mean, that's, that's implying that you guys aren't busy. So, you know, I mean, I understand we're all busy and we all, it's all good to have an opportunity to, to get to talk like this. And, and it never happens with me. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of guys in the industry. And so I've got a guy that's literally 25 miles from here, and we're like brothers. And he called and left a message this morning, and he said, you know, we never, we did not see each other in 2013. And I thought, we live 25 miles from each other, and we're very good friends. I mean, call each other brothers, literally, you know, brothers from another mother. And we are so busy, we don't even get a chance to see each other. And um, it's just, I mean, it, it used to not be like that. It seems like everybody's busier than ever, and uh, I guess it's, that part's not a bad thing. It's just, um, you know, getting an opportunity to talk with um, with you guys, man, it's a blessing to me. Look, Vince, yeah. I, 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 my blood brother, my real brother, <laughs> I see him once a year, so don't feel bad, man. <laughs> I only see him at Thanksgiving, so, you know, other than that, we're talking to each other on Facebook and, and Instagram right. and all that, and... So don't feel bad, man. So that's a dude I actually know as my brother, and I get to see him once a year. So don't feel bad. Hey, I live across the street from my brother, my literally my brother, and I see him maybe you know two times a month, and we're right across the street, literally. So that's how that works, and that's that's no exaggeration. Like, look, dude, I spent my whole life. We're all too successful, or we're all just not making enough time. I'm gonna go with the latter. Probably, yeah, probably a combination of both. I'd like to say it was the the former, but it's probably a combination of both. Exactly. That's a good topic, though, on busyness, Vince. With your with your practice and all the people you train, how do you take time? How do you work in time to get your own workouts in? Yeah, that is um, that's a billion dollar question. And the thing is, is that. (laughs) And I know you guys practice what you teach. It's not one of those things where, you know, you, you sit behind a computer and you don't actually, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll follow both of you guys' stuff, so I know that you understand where I'm coming from on this. You really have to see your workout as a priority. I mean, it's something that um, I make sure that I schedule my workouts into my day. One thing that I don't veer from is I do a mobility session every single morning before I do anything else. And as I get older, it becomes even more, you know, of a, of one of those necessities. It's not, it's, it's kind of like waking up and, you know, using the restroom to me. It's something that I just don't even give myself an opportunity to have something else come up before, I, you know, I get that part of it taken care of before I can even deal with anybody else. And, um, and then the workout themselves, I found that as I've gotten older, I have to schedule those types of demands in when I know that I'm going to be able to get the most efficient work in, and what I mean by that, where I'm not going to be bothered by either phone calls or somebody else needing my attention, as well as my energy levels. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's certain times during the day that I know that I'm not going to waste time having to, you know, spend more time either, A, warming up or, um, you know, just in general, just getting the, the right work in that I need and then to stay healthy. And then for me, it just happens to be in the late part of the morning and um, I used to be an early morning guy where I would do my mobility and my strength training in the mornings. And then I realized that the productivity was going down and my workouts were starting to decline. And so I had to reschedule my day so that I would schedule clients at that time and then separate or, um, you know, specified time late morning that I get my own training in. And then I go right back into working with clients through you know, into the evening. So it's one of those things where there is a little bit of um, trial and error involved in it, and then you probably 
you know, do evolve as you get older with finding out what works best for you. But at the same time, I mean, you really, there's no point where you get to where you realize, you know, I don't have to take care of my own body. You've got to continue to practice everything that, that you're teaching and getting, you know, other people are paying you to, to teach them. Exactly. I don't think that those people are not looking at you cockeyed like, how is this guy going to tell me to do this and look at him? He's going to put this gut sticking out and it's hanging over the, the those bike shorts that the old football coaches used to wear <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and he's over with his polo shirt on, his gut is all out. Like, how are you going to tell me I need to do this amount of burpees? Like, when's the last time you've done a burpee? And I'm not talking about last night when you were drinking a beer, buddy. And you were like releasing a little pressure off that gut. No, when's the last time you did something? So, yeah, something can be said about that. And it's, it's, amazing. it's funny that, um, that you brought up the joint mobility and morning routine. Mike and I were just talking about this on our last show because uh, we had some questions about our, our favorite joint mobility routines and also just different techniques that we like as far as warming up. And, and I know Mike was saying that that's the first thing he does when he gets up in the morning. And that's one of the things, like you said, as you start getting older, you start realizing, you know, don't sleep on the joint mobility. Yeah, it's not sexy. It's nothing beautiful about it. It's not like, ah, oh, it's just this big, beautiful thing that you can market or anything like that. But you know what? It pays big dividends, big time, especially as you start getting older and as you start training harder, especially if you have really intense workouts, hitting all the big compound lifts. You have to have that joint mobility routine in place. And the best time to do it is in the morning because you've been asleep. Muscles are contracting while you sleep. You're getting all bundled up, man. So I'm, I'm with you on the morning routine with the joint mobility, brother, big time. Yeah, I mean, the first step in recovery is what you do before the training. You know, it's not right. after the training right. only, and that's what a lot of people, and like you said, Sincere, it's not one of those sexy things that you enjoy, um, you know, demonstrating or teaching somebody else to, and there are plenty of times where I feel like maybe I put too much attention into it because of the fact that it isn't one of those things that, you know, is super impressive to either demonstrate or to, to teach anybody, but they, especially when I'm working with high school kids and things like that, when it's every bit as important to them and their performance, maybe not to the, you know, degree from the standpoint of having to hit as many of your joints every time like, like we do, but I'm, at the same time, it's very important that they understand these principles, and it's, it's really it's easy to overlook. It's easy to set aside and say, okay, it's only about how much I lift from point A to point B on, you know, A, B, C, D exercises, and, um, you know, and then, you know, what kind of you know, metabolic condition, I mean, all the catch words and everything that everybody right. uses as opposed to looking at it like, you know, you've got to set the table first. It's kind of like your digestive system. I look at mobility like if your digestive system is, you know, just filled with crap, then really how much of the food that you're taking in, regardless of its quality, is really going to nourish your body. And so when I explain it in, in either metaphors or analogies, that's really the way I look at it is that you're setting the stage for all the major stuff, if you will, to actually benefit you as opposed to thinking that you can, you know, just ignore that and then go right in and just plow into the, to the heavy, impressive work that everybody, you know, wants to get to. You really just have to pay attention to, you know, just setting the foundation for all that other stuff to be able to not only to not get hurt, but for the mm -hmm. performance to go up. Because I think injury prevention and performance – or hand in glove. I mean, you right. got to look at it like, you know, if you, like the older we get, it's more about, you know, just staying healthy. And mm -hmm. then when we're still competitive athletes, it's all about, you know, performing better. And not that we don't want to perform better when we're, you know, 88 too, but the point is when you're dealing with a high school athlete and you tell them, you know, we're doing this to keep your shoulders healthy. We're doing this so that you maintain thoracic mobility. We're doing this, you, you lose them, you know, and, but right. when you tell them it's to enhance their performance, then they buy into it, and then you can get them to practice on a consistent basis. And then the more I would tell a kid, hey, this is to improve your performance in, you know, whatever sport that they're playing and what position they're playing, I was realizing, wait a minute, the same stuff that I do every morning just from a health standpoint. I know that you train a lot of high school athletes, and I was going to ask you, like, how do you drive that point home with the joint mobility and the restoration and recovery? Because, you know, when you're young, man, and you're starting, that testosterone's kicking in, puberty's kicking in, you feel like you're on top of the world, you're invincible, you're like, I just go in, hit my lips, and I'm going home. They're very rebellious at that time, so pretty much anything that we tell them that they're not necessarily buying into at, the, at that time, it's really hard to get them to follow through with it. I mean, Hell, it's hard to just get them to clean their damn room up, <laughs> you know, and just tell them, like, dude, you're living like a slob. And guess what? 20 years from now, no woman's going to want to live with you if you're living like this. So start practicing now. So I was just wondering, yeah, just pretty much how do you help them with their mindset of just getting past 
just want to do the things they want to do. You've got to keep it interesting. You've got to, I mean, and that's something that's just like trying to get, again, use the analogy of getting somebody to eat properly. You've got to make it taste good at least at some point. And it's the same thing with mobility and, you know, if you want to call it dynamic warm-up or whatever everybody calls it today. It's a matter of finding some way to keep it, you know, interesting to them as opposed to, you know, having them in a quadruped position and, you know, taking the elbow in weird positions and all that. And you know, mm-hmm. they're just that you, you completely lose them with that. So what you have to do is you have to go, how can I get the job done? And yeah, there'll be a little bit of compromise where there might be some things that you don't get to unless a specific athlete needs that or a specific individual needs to do certain drills. You, you probably leave a lot of stuff out by doing it that way. And then I'll basically put a clock on it, you know, where I'm not, not that I'm walking around with a stopwatch and tell them, Hey, you've only got, you know, seven and a half minutes to do these. But at the same time, I'll give them a period of time after teaching them the drills, and I'll say, okay, you know the points of interest for each of you guys. And then if I'm working with a large group together, it's it's a, even a you know, more difficult but yet simple task in the sense that we just do a kind of a shotgun approach with, um, you know, with the mobility drills and then keep them moving. I noticed that what I benefit from by teaching them with um, keeping their interest is keep the reps low as opposed to telling them, okay, we're going to do, you know, 15 bird dogs on each side, then we're going to do a floor slide for 24 reps, and then we're going to – you've got to say we're going to do five reps here, we're going to do five reps of this, we're going to do five arm circles, we're going to do five arm crosses, right. we're going to do, you know, scapular retraction for, you know, five reps, and you keep it flowing that way. Then they buy into it, and then you'll find that they start practicing on their own more. Right. And, you know, and so it's more the time issue to keep their attention span than it is, you know, the fact that they don't want to do it. It's the fact that they know they can do it in a very quick, you know, where, way where you're changing drills, you know, you know, going from one to the next, then they tend to stay with it more. But if you tell them you got to do 20 of these, you know, 106 of these, <laughs> and, uh, and I know, Mike, you follow up on this, I know that, um, you know, Steve Maxwell and um, I don't know who else probably has taught the same thing, that when you're doing joint mobility drills, you should look at your age yeah, to determine yeah. the number right. of repetitions. Right. Well, even if I had a kid that's 15 years old, <laughs> it's very unlikely I'm going to get him to do 15 arm circles and, you know, 15 shoulder screws and everything else, you know, consistently. So I have to do, you know, a little bit of, you know, creative work with that and then make sure I'm kind of toning it down and then look at it more that way. Whereas, you know, we can spend 45 minutes doing mobility work and understand the value of it. And I'm bought into it. Like I know you guys are. So it's a matter of understanding the audience or the, the target demographic that you have and then making sure that at least they do it. I'd rather have a kid eat well most of the time than just completely throw it out the door and say, I, you know, totally, against ever eating anything that has any nutritional value to me at all. I'd rather at least get them interested in doing it frequently enough so that they gradually get to where they make it more part of their life. No doubt. Just going back to a couple of things you talked about, I like what you said about the mobility work. You, you don't prioritize it and get it done early in the day or first thing before you start doing anything else. It's just not going to get done, and I've found that myself too, where if I don't prioritize it early in the morning, I just say I'll do it at some other point. All of a sudden, four weeks go by and you haven't done it at all. You know, you, you, have, you have to get it in there. And then that's the thing about what I always tell people about mobility work as well is you don't realize what the benefits are until you stop doing it. Now, yeah. once you've been doing it for, let's say, a year, take a week off. Watch how fast you just get tight. All of a sudden, you get really stiff. All of a sudden, you're much more sore from workouts. You're not recovering as fast. So it's one of those things where once you get used to doing it, you're going, ah, I wonder why, I wonder if this is even beneficial. And then you take some time off, you realize, okay, this is really beneficial. Also, I like what you said about with your workouts. I think, I think with, with workouts, you have to make it like any other appointment you have in your day. So if you have clients all day long, that workout for you is also a client because you're, you're your own client. If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to lose a lot of your clients. You're not going to have a thriving business. And then just like you wouldn't cancel on a client, I think too many trainers are too quick to cancel on their own workouts. And like what Sincere was saying, you don't want to be that person who comes in and doesn't exude any confidence because people can see that. They can, you can talk all day long, and then they're looking at you going, you know, something's not adding up here. You're talking about 
keep your physique composition like this, and that you should be this strong, and I haven't seen you pick up a weight ever, and you don't look <laughs> like you have. So I think, I, think, I think in our industry now, because the, I think the Internet's fantastic for getting a ton of information, and for example, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast without the Internet. Some of the negatives are, though, in our business, I've found that there's a lot of Internet experts that no one's ever seen. And these are people that just sit behind the computer. They bang out ebooks every month, and they have a new ebook every month. The ghost trainer. And no one's ever seen this person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they've never trained anyone either. Now they're talking about, oh, here's how I get results for these clients, and they've, they've never had any clients. But no one's ever met this person, so who knows? Like, oh, this information sounds pretty good. And they, they, they've gone to the Dan Kennedy School of Marketing, so they know how to write ad copy and get stuff out there. And th- those are some of the negatives I see with our industry. But I- I'm curious how you got into this whole strength and conditioning field. Does, is this, was this your primary career, or did you do something before this, and maybe this was a passion of yours that you wanted to get into? No, I started when I was 18 years old. And, wow. Um, and literally, not, not training when I was 18. I actually started training when I was 11 and 12. Um, actually training clients at 18. It wasn't even called personal training back then. I mean, I, I'm kind of hmm. aging myself here. <laughs> that was back in 19, 1983, 1983, and it, um, it started, I was training to become a professional tennis player at the time. I played, my background in sports is, goes from basketball, football, martial arts, tennis, and it was one of those kind of things, one of the things that I sat out and said one day, I'm going to be a personal trainer when I, you know, get old. I mean, there wasn't, there was no such job that that entailed and then being a tennis player I was kind of late into the competitive aspect of that because of playing all these other sports most tennis players that I competed against back then had a tennis racket in their hand when they were two years old and they probably you know other than that they probably couldn't chew gum and pat their head at the same time I mean it was one of those things where um, you know I was really kind of kind of an unnatural tennis player if you will from that standpoint and then Realizing being as competitive as I was, realizing at some point I probably wasn't going to win the U.S. Open or Wimbledon, and that happens earlier in tennis probably than it does in other sports, other than maybe, say, gymnastics or something like that, where you realize you you might not win a gold medal. Um, I had a uh, tennis coach. I was down in Florida training to um, at a tennis academy, and I had one of the coaches say, um, would you consider helping, you know, train means strength training, which tennis players didn't strength train back then. Would you consider doing some on-court stuff to help their speed and their agility, you know, court coverage, I think they called it back then, as well as getting them stronger because we've had, you know, shoulder issues. And I said, sure. I didn't realize at the time the guy was basically giving me the worst insult as a tennis player he could because he's basically saying <laughs> you're probably not ever going to – probably not ever going to leave this academy – but as a tennis player, but we think you can help these kids with all the other. So my football background benefited me in tennis, and then that turned into a career. They hired me on the spot. I was training, you know, tennis players to start out with, and I started training the parents of the tennis players, and and it started that way. I mean, it was very weird. I haven't heard anybody else that's had that story before. So no, that's kinda, an interesting one. Huh? And how um, hard was and, it to make that transition? I was going to say, from a competitive standpoint, it was um, exceptionally difficult because you're going from the guys that you were competing against, you know, within that academy, and, of course, you travel to tournaments and so forth. You go from, you know, looking at, you know, how am I going to strategize to beat these guys to all of a sudden, you know, early retirement kind of, and like, okay, now I'm now their coach as opposed to, you know, competing against them. But the reality and hindsight, looking back at it, I enjoyed the training, the preparation part of that, you know, especially with tennis, even more than I did the competitive part of it. And so it was kind of one of those things where I look back at it and I just go, you know, it was kind of just, you know, just things lined up that way. And um, and, and I don't remember the um, the transition being super tough because it wasn't any downtime. It's not like I had six months at home where I was going, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do with my life? It was immediately from, you know, because I was training every day anyway, So I, and I continued to train. I mean, I, back then I was probably training four hours myself. And, um, and then being involved in martial arts and everything, you know, you just it's, it's part of your life that you're training. So just going from that to all of a sudden getting paid to train others was a, you know, more, you know, 
it was an efficient transition, if you will, more than it was one of those things where I'm literally banging my head against the wall going, okay, how am I going to eat today? Right. So, um, so that part of it was probably a, you know, not as difficult as it might be for some people to make the transition. So Vince, um, I know you're in Alabama. I'm here in Texas and we both know in this part of the world and this part of the Bible belt, it is football land. So do you find that that's mostly those, although the majority of the clients that you get as far as uh, the high school athletes that you work with, or do they pretty much come from other sports out there? Yeah, football predominant. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's really not even a close second. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, now I will say this, a lot of those high school athletes play other sports, mm-hmm. but the primary reason that they you know, come to me is because of the football part of it. I, mean, I might have a three-sport athlete that plays football, baseball, and basketball, and you might think, well, when does he have time to train? And that's, another, that's a whole other topic. Right. But the reality is, is that most of them will, you know, they're coming to, to enhance their performance or to improve their performance with football. You know, they got to get bigger, stronger. And then in a lot of cases, um, they, they come to me with injuries. And, um, and not that I'm a physical therapist or can claim to be, but there's, you know, some things on the parents, they, you know, they trust me with, um, you know, dealing with after they've been through physical therapy, you know, mm-hmm. to get them back quicker. So, you know, we deal with a lot of that type of situation. And, and do you use a lot of those techniques? Like, again, you said you had some of the three-sport athletes. I, I remember being one of those athletes. And it was at that point where in the spring, if you play football in the fall and pretty much when football season was over, every coach pretty much told you that you have to participate in some sport during the spring. It was kind of their way of keeping you from being lazy and just, just jacking around in the, in the weight room for the next, who knows, six months and then take off for the summer or something like that. So do you use a lot of the conditioning that you use in football? and train them during football season to help them enhance their other sports as far as like basketball, track, tennis, because there's still a lot of the strength and conditioning techniques that we use in football from high school that I even utilize now, even in my classes with my clients that I have now, which they're a little older than most football age kids or anything like that, but they still find a lot of benefit. In it. And of course you got some of the guys that are like, Oh man, I remember this from football. I mean, we'll do things like monkey rolls and things like that. And of course, you know, you got to have a certain, skill of athleticism to do monkey rolls you don't want to just put somebody that's like 50 and got joint problems drop having them dropping down the mat and roll around on the shoulders you know but they find a lot of benefit and things like that i mean we do leapfrog so again asking you do you utilize a lot of the strength and conditioning techniques that you put for your football athletes and utilize that toward the other sports especially like those spring sports like track and field and tennis oh definitely you know and and the thing is i really do you know you brought up football I really do look at football as the type of training that I do. Say if I had a, a guy that played nothing but football, the mm-hmm. way that I would train him, I use a lot of those principles more so than in any other sport for the other sports, as well as for my general clientele. I mean, a lot of the right. stuff, I mean, I've got, I've got groups of men that are, you know, into their 40s and 50s and, um, and very competitive guys. Um, I'll say that too. I mean, with each other and, and then in the business world, you know, these are guys that expect, the, you know, the 100% from themselves, you know, every day and whatever they do. And I use a lot of those same drills just to, you know, to keep elevating the demand. Now, you have to always look, count the cost and go, okay, if this is going to, you know, create some type of, you know, obvious injury situation, then, you know, you have to pull the reins back a little bit. But at the same right. time, you want to continue to to challenge you know, those clients. And then, so, yeah, we use a lot of the same football drills that we would, um, you know, with really throughout as well as the ladies that I work with, you know, mm-hmm. all the way through. I even have one workout in particular we call field drill days. Pretty much a lot of the warm-ups from football, we use that as an entire workout training day for my clients now. So, you know, we're doing high knees for 50 yards and we're doing back pedals. We're doing karaoke. We're, you know, we're doing crossovers, doing lateral shuffles and, you know, we'll we'll do bear crawls and things like that. So to them, it's a workout. For me, it's a way of keeping them. A, it keeps it, it keeps it very interesting, especially for the ladies because a lot of them didn't play football, so they wouldn't understand where all the stuff is coming from. But it's 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 new to them. And for the guys, it gives them a little moment to, to reminisce and think back to their good old days. Because come on, Vince, we've had that client that always comes to us the first time they give us a call and they want our services. Like, yeah, man, you know, cause I remember back, you know, when I played football, I was all American and you know, I was, I was bench pressing 425 when I was 18 and this dude is like 53. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm happy that you can remember what you did at 18. Cause I really don't. And I don't think I care to remember what I was doing at 18. <laughs> so it's just, but you always have those guys. So they get very excited when they can kind of go back into 
that 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 hot tub time machine <laughs> and go back right. in time like yeah man my glory days when i won district yeah dude but that's right. when they had leather helmets i mean come on yeah exactly <laughs> oh yeah I get, I get plenty of those in here too um, I mean, I get them when they come in. They go. Um, I worked with Julio Jones, uh, one of the guys, and he's like a. Uh, he's you know more popular than probably any athlete that's come out of this area in the last you know. Twenty five years, and uh, I mean, he plays with the Falcons, and I get um, on a regular basis. I want to go through the Julio Jones workout, and I go, No, you don't. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I want to do the same thing. And see, that's another thing with the internet. We used yeah. to not have that. Now everybody wants to know. How do you train this guy? How did this guy yeah, train? Exactly. I, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you see it in Google, the Larry Fitzgerald workout, and you see all these different things. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like, no, you don't want to be put through that. I promise you. You know, and then they do, and then you end up. You know, we've got two bathrooms in my facility, and they get used on a very regular basis in that case. <laughs> and um, so it's, um, you know, and I've got the the people that clean my turf on speed dial. So. <laughs> it, um, you know, only that. But I, I try not to let that happen anymore. But, you know, what you were saying, Sincere, about, you know, just those basic bare-bones type workouts and, you know, that's that's where my roots are. And right. I find that I, I find that we as a whole in the fitness profession, sometimes we try to get too smart for our clients. And what I mean by that, we, we have to, you know, like you are talking about, you know, having them get outside and just do – a skips and lateral shuffles and karaoke and, and all these drills that you go, wait a minute, it doesn't take a real smart trainer or coach to teach somebody how to do that. So let's not program that in. And, you know, and that's, I, I find myself guilty of that sometimes too, where, you know, one of the most, you know, deadly things you can have somebody do is run up a hill, you know, for repetition. I've got a 40 yard hill right outside my facility that we use for a lot of our speed work and our conditioning. And then obviously you guys know about the prowler sleds and all that, right. you know, and then, you know, now with battling ropes and everything, and then, you know, teaching somebody how to do a kettlebell swing. Now, those are all things that we can, if we're, that I know you two guys understand that we could teach somebody to do pretty darn well as far as not hurting themselves pretty quickly. And if you put that in a metabolic circuit, as an example, just those exercises and then, or, Use just a couple of them and just pair them up. It doesn't take, and this and added like a weighted carry, like a suitcase carry or a farmer's walk and mm-hmm. so forth. It doesn't take, it's not a rocket science situation there. And I think sometimes we look at what we do in our career, and I have to grab myself by the neck sometimes and remind myself just to not try to get so smart with everything in program design. Right. That's a brutal, brutal workout that never gets easy. Right. It's not like it's not like now running somebody. I've got guys that come in and go, "Hey, I run 10Ks. I run. I ran two marathons last year. This, this, and this. I don't need to do any extra cardio. I don't need to do any. You know." And they try to go through a 20-minute metabolic circuit that you know that I designed, not because I'm so smart, but just because you're putting basic components and principles together, and they can't survive it, and they're always shocked. At you know their ego just can't handle the fact that they couldn't make it through a 20-minute workout yet they can go run 26.2 miles, and right. you know my explanation is like it's if that's so specific when you go out and teach your body to to manage 26.2 miles right. just like with riding a bike, whereas when you're putting together exercises like what you mentioned earlier, your body never just gets to where it goes. Okay, I got that figured out. I've got it. You know, there's always ways of putting those things together, those components together, that can fool anybody's ability to adapt. Right. I mean, case in point, suicides. Of course, there's some athletes that are like, oh, I can run suicides. I can do suicides all day. Yeah, but can you do suicide bear crawls? Can, you know, can you actually run to the cone and then you have to backpedal, do a backwards bear crawl back to where you started and then run to the next cone and do a backwards bear crawl to where you started and keep doing that and have, have the cone spread out for about 50 yards, 75 yards, 100 yards. Okay, so there's one way. Look, we're doing the same thing. I didn't try to create anything new. We just took a basic suicide and a bear crawl here. Or better yet, when you get to the cone, you just drop down and you do five burpees. Then you run back to the start line. Run to the next cone, drop down, do 10 burpees, run back to where you started. Run to the next cone, do 30, and just keep doing it as you keep moving to the next cone. And, again, nothing crazy and outlandish. We just ran to the cone, and we just did burpees. Didn't do anything new. Didn't try to create something. Didn't have you jump on a BOSU ball and turn a backflip or anything like that, man. And Didn't try to do anything clever. But trust me, when you do things like that, just little things, take what they already know and just utilize it in a different way. I mean, there's nothing clever about that. 
basically it's another situation where your body is not going to get used to that. And right. it's, it's, I think a lot of coaches out there, they, they use creativity in the wrong way. There are, there are ways of being creative and then there are ways of just being stupid and just trying to look, trying to look like the smartest dude in the room, but you actually look like the dumbest ass in the room, especially when someone gets hurt. Use those foundational things that we were talking about. And okay. How can you put a little twist on those things without just being just outlandishly crazy with it? Yeah, it's the transitions, like what you're talking about. It's going from one thing to the next as opposed to just locking in. And another thing that, that happens is that when I'm working with football players and then we train like what you were just explaining, you know, where you're going from down on the ground to up to mm-hmm. on your back to face down, and you're changing that up, what it, it's, it's, obviously you're creating an oxygen debt. I mean, you know, that's, that's common sense. But what you're also creating is this you're challenging your equilibrium to the point where, you know, a lot of guys will do a trial push for the first time and then we'll do say a suspended row where they're looking up. Then we do a kettlebell swing. Then we, mm-hmm. where I'm changing their orientation and they'll start getting sick. And right. then when they start getting sick, they add panic to that. Mm-hmm. In yeah. other words, they're, they're, they start to, it's kind of like the equivalent of being, you know, if you're out in the ocean and you're, and you need to get back to shore, the worst thing you can do is panic. Right. You know, instead of breathing it through and relaxing and realizing, okay, I've got to get to shore, the best way to do that would be, you know, just one at a time, one stroke at a time, as opposed to fighting it, as opposed to fighting the fatigue. And that's what I teach the athletes is to not just breathe, you know, work on your breathing, but to actually from a mental approach is to when the fatigue gets there, just go, Hey, I'm not surprised. Of course it's there. In other words, under you know, have a have an internal conversation with it and then don't be intimidated by it. A lot of athletes get intimidated by fatigue and then they start whether they're it's in competition or in training, and then they resist that feeling. They resist that fatigue and then that's like throwing gasoline on the fire. So Vince by Lombardi, getting yeah. that Yeah. I was about to say Vince Lombardi one oh one, fatigue makes cowards of us all. He said and again. And the thing is, if you can get everybody from competitive athletes to housewives to businessmen and get them to understand that fatigue is just a byproduct of work and it's, there's nothing wrong with, oh, man, I'm worn out today, guess what? It doesn't matter. You just, you know, wherever you are on a given day, you know, it's going to be potentially a little bit different. doesn't matter what kind of condition you get in. You'll be visited by that fatigue level at some point. And then when you learn to just, you know, let it flow by, as opposed to fighting it, then competitive-wise, whether you're, you know, a mixed martial artist, football player, lacrosse player, basketball, you watch how your competitive level goes up, and then you're not intimidated by the fatigue, and you watch also how your endurance picks up just by that, even if the conditioning was the same. Because there's a lot of guys that train real hard, and you would think that by the physical application of their training that they would be in the best condition of anybody for that sport, for that position. They get into competition, and they just fall apart. They're, they're not breathing correctly. They're, right. um, you know, they're hitting that wall, that red line, a lot sooner than they should, and it's all because they didn't learn how to manage fatigue in training. Right. What about people, Vince, that chase fatigue? In other words, we all have those clients where if you don't wipe them out, you know, they don't leave limping into the parking lot <laughs> to get in their car. They don't feel like they had an effective workout. Like, oh, I want to be wiped out. I want to, I want to go do the hardest workout you can put together. We, we all, we've all dealt with people like that. Yeah, make me throw up. Well, we always have to <laughs> yeah. train those people. Look, the, the goal of the workout is not to be fatigued, to puke, to wipe yourself out, to have injuries, to make your chiropractor rich. You know, those aren't the goals <laughs> of a workout. The goals of the workout are, are you getting stronger? Are you getting better conditioning? Are you making progress? You know, there's old barometers that we can tell whether a workout is effective or not. So I'm curious if you, how you deal with that element in your practice. Yeah. Well, first of all, I've, on that topic, I've always kidded that, you know, I could um, hand my stopwatch to a five-year-old and then give him a, if he could, you know, talk and, or, or whatever age that they can read and read off right. of a clipboard and they could wear somebody out. I mean, it's really right. not anything. There's nothing scientific about wearing somebody's ass out. So on that end, um, and I deal with a lot of people that way, and, and most of them, Mike, are um, business people that just feel like they need to have their ass kicked every time that they come in. And if they don't, and if they <laughs> don't, they feel like, <laughs> yeah. So, so just through understanding that personality, I, I make sure I give them a little bit of that every time in, but it's got to be done in a way that's not going to completely annihilate their, their central nervous system. It's got to be with an exercise that has a, a low cost to the nervous system, so to speak. 
In other words, I wouldn't, you know, for instance, say, okay, we're going to put 225 on the bar and then we're going to squat till you die. You know, it would have to be with an exercise that allowed them to get that feeling that they pushed themselves, you know, through that, that point that they didn't think they could make it through. And, I mean, you know, you can take any number of exercises by doing that. But, I mean, typically I, I have to know the person's history health-wise and everything before I make the decision what exercise that is. And then communicate with them as far as, you know, performance-wise where their progress is improving as opposed to just what their assessment fatigue-wise is to determine their progress. Because a lot of times you'll get guys who'll come in and they'll have the best workout from a standpoint of performance and what the work that they got done, but they'll say, well, I didn't feel like I worked that hard today. And it's like, well, again, like you said, you're not trying to, you know, chase fatigue. You're regulating fatigue. I mean, that should be what your goal of training really is, is the performance of the workout. But the ego, just like with how much can I lift, is always how far can I push myself? How far can I dig into that hole? And so with that, I find some way, whether it's, uh, you know, and I know you guys, uh, you know, will love this. It's a, you know, like we did a drop set of dumbbell curls, you know, where, you know, we started heavier and then worked down. And then, you know, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, where at least we took one exercise, not that we do a lot of isolation movements or anything with anybody, but if we finished with arms, you know, where somebody doesn't feel like they've completed their workout until they've left here with a, a pump that lasts for, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you know, for their ride home to impress their wife maybe or something. But the point is, is that it's not not really part of the workout, but at the same time, if I can leave them with that, knowing their personality, if I can leave them with knowing that they, you know, just did, you know, a drop set of curls, drop set of tricep pushdowns, whatever it is, that allowed them to dig into that, that place they didn't think they could go, then that's all that they need. I mean, that's just been my experience of it. I don't think that they want to do burpees to failure. Right, right. <laughs> no. I think one thing Carl is where everyone gets their courage card out, right? Yeah, exactly. German volume training for curls, no problem. Ten sets of ten, people are happy to do that. But for an exercise where it's a it's a money exercise, you know, deadlift squats, etc., not too many people want to. After the fourth set, you realize you have six more to go. That that that's kind of the burning point there. Yeah, they're not looking to take those to failure. I mean, that's the thing is that somebody might want to challenge themselves on that ex- on exercises that really matter, but it's rarely those that they're really, you know, wanting to just completely, you know, hit the accelerator on. They're basically wanting to just get those over with. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's more like three sets of suck for, for those type of exercises <laughs> right there. Yeah. But, but right. one thing that I'm noticing right here throughout this conversation, Vince, just going by your experiences here, you're demonstrating something that is really, I feel like, lacking in today's instant infomercial society right now. What I'm hearing here is a coach because you're analyzing what's going on in your client's life. You're not just showing up and like, here's the workout we're going to do today. Here's the training we're doing for the day. Let's just do it. And you, you probably picked it up from somewhere online or something like that or taking it out of a magazine and just try to call it something else. And you're not doing anything like that. You're actually really trying to see how they are, you know, how they're feeling that day when they come in what's going on with them, where their training has gone up until this point, where are you trying to go to next. You're really trying to break all that stuff down and then really implement that and let that be part of the programming. And sometimes, even if you think like, okay, this is the plan for today, what you're seeing is that, okay, when they showed up, it may not be the best plan for the day, so you might have to change the things over. Like we say in football, you have to run an audible and come up with a plan B right there. And I think one of the biggest issues we have today in this, like I said, the infomercial and even slash boot camp society, everybody's all about, oh, and I hate to even say this phrase, but everybody's all about muscle confusion. And they're missing the key word in that phrase is confusion. <laughs> so, and they're just trying to like, just throw a bunch of crap at somebody, throw a bunch of stuff on the wall, hope something sticks. Well, half the time they don't even care if it even sticks. And what's happening now, you have the client with that same attitude because now they feel since so many are doing it and it's been so commercialized that that's the way it should be. So they come to you thinking like, okay, we just did deadlifts last week. So like Mike and I were just talking about the 531 program on the last show. So when you implement that with your clients and they're thinking like, well, we just did, I just did deadlifts last week. I just did bench last week. I just did squat last week. We did it for like five. Okay, this week we're doing it for three reps. Uh, But why are we doing this again? So you have them, they're kind of set on this. I want it to be changed up every time. Like, okay, well, you know, and Mike has this, his um, five pillars, okay, you can have that and still have certain exercises that hit those five pillars right there. 
But at the same time, I, I think as a coach, when you explain that to them, they can get a better understanding. But at the same time, we need to explain to them why muscle confusion is bullshit, yep. you know, and why these infomercials and, and insanity and all that other crap is bullshit. Because it's like, dude, if you've been sitting on your ass for the last 10, 15 years and you're going to pop in insanity on January 1st because you just made a decision that, hey, it's a new year, it's a new me, and you're sitting there and you're trying to sit there and do all those star jumps and something like that, and, dude, you can barely walk up the stairs, you're going to be in for a grim you reality. Know what's funny, Sincere? Isn't, isn't that the most appropriate title for that program? Insanity. Exactly. <laughs> That's the part that it's like, yeah, exactly. That's what I think, too, when I'm like, looking this, at this information. Like I, can't say, I, can't, I can't call it bullshit, so let's just call it insanity. <laughs> I think you just gave someone an idea yeah. there, Sincere. Yeah. I'm going to start seeing bullshit commercials. <laughs> What you just said is exactly what I deal with on a regular basis. I have somebody comes in and they go, I've been doing the insanity. I've been doing the whatever that um, P90 P90X, yeah. P90X, you know, and I've been doing and, and the point is, is that when they, you know, get on our, you know, whatever program I put them on, especially the one that there are variables that we change. But, see, it's not by design that I'm thinking, okay, they were here Monday, Wednesday, Friday last week well, wait a minute, we can't do the same thing that we did last Monday, this Monday. We can't do the same thing we did last Wednesday, this Wednesday. We can't. Uh, if you start that, then you're really, you're just yanking the rug out from under yourself as far as, far as a coach goes. You've got to stay true to your principles. And that's uh, and then it, without, and, and I've written a, a blog post on this, are we coaching these people or are we entertaining them? I mean, if we're going to entertain them, then we need to look at it from that perspective and say, look, all I am is I'm going to entertain um, these, if you want to call them clients, these customers. You know, when they come right. in, I'm going to show them, I'm going to wow them with some new things that I picked up on the Internet this weekend or some things that in my downtime I was able to come up with on what to do with a BOSU ball and, a, you know, whatever else that you could, you know, hold in one hand and then hold something else in the other hand. I mean, it just it gets to be so ridiculous that, you know, we, we have no stability with the program that way. I mean, you're always – because it's not that difficult to just come up with new ways of doing things i mean i can show you a straight line that i can walk on and i can come up with a hundred different ways that i can walk on that straight line but the point is i got to get from point a to point b right. you know and that's what i've got to always keep in mind is that you know what is the point of doing work what is the point and what what is my objective what tools do i have available to get the job done with that what is the most efficient way of getting that done? Now, sometimes that's not going to be the most exciting answer. I mean, it, you know, it, you can't always leave it like, okay, I've got to find a way that's going to entertain this person while they're getting from point A to point B. I've actually, you know, our job is really just to efficiently get the work done and then allow them to get on with their life. You know, and the same thing with us when we're training. You know, we've got to keep it efficient. And then get the job done and then move on because you're only as good as your next workout. That's another thing that people miss is they want they want to just annihilate themselves in this workout and not realizing that and you guys I know you're gonna you both will train for a lifetime just like just like me. We're not looking at a certain stage in our life where we go, Okay, we're done. You know, we've we've accomplished it. We're not gonna I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow and look at another day of training. I mean, as long as I'm taking you know, breath in this world, I'm going to be trained. I mean, that's the way I look at it. So I always look at it from the standpoint of this workout is a bridge into my next workout. So keep that in mind. So what am I doing today that's going to assist with what's going to happen in the next workout tomorrow and the day after that and day after that? And we have to teach that same stuff with our clients. Otherwise, you know, they do become just, you know, products of that same attention deficit society that we see in in our field with the insanity and all the other stuff like that <laughs> funny thing about muscle confusion also is i mean you look at something basic right such as what if what if someone's busy and all they have time to do is go sprinting in a field behind their house three times a week is that going to be the worst thing in the world no of course not because sprinting never gets easy you know if you're actually doing a sprint you know right. <laughs> you're doing the full out effort 50 yards 100 yards you're going to get better condition over time, so maybe you'll be faster. Maybe you can exert yourself harder. But you're always—it's always a full-out effort, whether it's a, whether it's whether you have poor conditioning or a high level of conditioning. So it's always going to be a great workout, as long as you have the mobility and so forth. You avoid injuries, and I think sometimes people have a hard time believing that it's really that simple. You just focus on a few basic moves. You regulate the volume. You regulate the reps. You regulate the intensity. 
you balance it with restoration, and then you make modifications, gradual ones usually, very seamless ones over time because they're just so bedazzled by stuff that they're like, when are we going to work this in? I mean, when are we going to do core work, five different exercises for core, et cetera, and so forth? (laughs) It's overly complicated. And we all see people at the gym. I mean, every trainer has this story, right, where you go into a gym and you look at people and you see them six months later and nothing has changed. And generally it's because they just overcomplicated things, just like people do with their business in other areas. But um, you have a unique perspective, Vince, because you've been doing this for so long. You've been doing this since 1983. What do you think of the landscape of strength and conditioning now versus earlier in your career? Very much like what we were just talking about. I think now you've got too many experts. And I'm not talking about guys like you and, and Sincere and, you know, myself, like, okay, we're, you know, we've got too many experts of us. I'm talking in terms of when I'm – talking with a client, when I'm talking with a prospective client, when I'm talking with some Joe on the street, they all, in their own minds, already know answers to questions that they still have. In other words, because of the influx of information that we have available to us, and I'm not just picking on the Internet, I'm just saying in general, there's, just, there's too much with the, the media that we have now available to us, and I'm not anti-media. Like you said, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now without it. It can definitely be used to have its benefits that far or, you know, surpass any of the negatives. But I think that there's just too much analysis, if you will, and why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And then, you know, well, you should do it. And then all the terminology that everybody has to use. I've yet to have a client ever really sit down with me and ask to explain, you know, specific body parts, you know, all the different layers of each body part, you know, why, I mean, I understand there's, there, there is a point where we need to understand physiology and physics itself. There's no question about it, kinesiology, and we need to have an understanding to not violate, you know, the human anatomy. I mean, if you don't have that basic understanding, you shouldn't be doing this. But beyond that, we need to just keep it really, and when I say simple, I'm not saying keep it simple just to keep it dumb. But we do need to just keep it simple so that we can keep it efficient, consistent, and then with that, keep that fresh as opposed to always having to have something new to keep it fresh. You know, in other words, you can be doing the same exercise. I can be doing exercises I literally did 40 years ago and then be going, um, you know, when I first started as a, you know, training as a kid and then find ways of making that better as opposed, you know, like a push-up. I mean, you know, all of us, the three of us could do a push-up and then actually still keep that interesting as opposed to, okay, we graduated from push-ups. We don't do push-ups anymore. You know, we don't do, I mean, they're, they're, and then I'm not saying that we need to create a way of doing a helicopter push-up or whatever. I'm just saying that we can still appreciate the value of the performance of a quality push-up. And I think that by keeping things, you know, where we've regressed, I believe, in the profession or from the strength conditioning world, is that we've tried to make all that so complex as well as legalistic. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. I mean, there's all these, right. every coach, right. every coach I talk to has got a list, whether it's a collegiate strength conditioning coach. Or not. Well, they're big kettlebell people. Then I can go talk to a strength coach at another top school. We hate kettlebells. Kettlebells are the curse. <laughs> they're the worst things that have been created. Um, and then go talk to them. Oh, we, we do Pilates. We do Pilates with our athletes. And talk to somebody else. Why waste time on Pilates? And that would make somebody starting out in our field absolute. That would make them want to go chase that insanity workout because right. you know, it's just it literally just there's too many experts with all, instead of just looking at it going back to the basics and going there are principles that are honored and true that we uh, use in our profession and they haven't changed. They don't change now. What we can change, what we what does change is how we apply those principles, and then we we're clear about the way that we're applying those principles as being just a variation of that. For instance, Mike, when did you start with kettlebells? You were one of the first guys that I know of that started us back, what, in um, the late 80s? I mean, late, yeah, late 90s? No, actually it was around 2002 that I started. I mean, I started using them around maybe in 2000, 1999, but it was around 2002 that I got out into the business and started building kettlebell training practice. You know, we were doing triple extension or hip extension moves before kettlebells, before Pavel brought, you know, the, sure. the highlight of kettlebells. So right. is the kettlebell a necessity? No. Is it a really good tool? Absolutely. I mean, there's some guys that I don't Olympic lift with at all, 
you know, all we do is kettlebell work for that purpose because they right. just, for what is contraindicated for them to do any Olympic lifts. Now, I'll, at the same time, I do Olympic lift a lot of my athletes for two reasons. Number one, I think it's a good, it, in some situations, it's a preferable exercise for them because of body type, because their their proficiency in the exercise, they can handle it. And then they're going to need to be doing it in their strength and conditioning program at college. So I want to teach them the, the proper mechanics of how to do a, say, a hang clean or a hang snatch so they don't get there and then they're completely overwhelmed by what, you know, what's being thrown at them once they get to college. But at the same time, the kettlebell swing in a lot of cases is my preferred choice for that particular attribute. So, in essence, we've progressed in that way, but at the same time, the whole point is we're still training the same attribute um, with the kettlebell swing that we were training back in the 80s. And right. that's what we need right. to always keep in mind is that, you know, guys were jumping pretty high back then too, you know, and they were performing well as athletes, and they never even heard of a kettlebell. And I'm not picking on the kettlebell. You know I love kettlebells, and we train them. I mean, I've got a facility full of them. We train them, and we use them every day. I'm just saying, as an example, we don't need to become so smart that, you know, this is the best way to do this. This is the best way. That's the worst thing you can ever do is this. I mean, you should never overhead press. You should never do this. You should never. And that's the thing that probably I think that we've gotten too much of since I started out. I think we have too many experts with, you know, their opinions on things like that. Right, right. right. Ah, very well said. Well, we'd love to have you come on back, Vince. Uh, great. This hour went by fast. Lots of great information. People can find out more about Vince at McConnellTraining.com. That's M-C-C-O-N-N-E-L-L Training.com. And we'll have that in the show notes when we blast this one out. Vince, do you have anything coming up? Is there a particular product you'd like to plug, or do you have any courses coming up or anything in the horizon? Uh, well, one thing I'm working on right now, we're getting ready to shoot a series of DVDs, and oh, it will be it will be based on you know not just for football, but um, athletes um, preparation, the whole process. You know, basically, I look at it. It'll be basically geared towards the multi-sport athlete, meaning what does a, what does an athlete do when he's you know nonstop throughout the year? In other words, how does he design a program? And you brought up the five three one. Um, actually, Wendler's program will be part of what I do. I like to utilize that as our foundational, um, you know, strength base throughout the season, throughout the year. And, um, and so that's, it's, um, it's just a matter of getting the time in the early part of the year to shoot that. And then it'll have a manual and, um, you know, it'll be for any strength coach out there, they'll be able to plug it in. And I'm not a big plug and play person, but it thinks all, you just need one program. That's what we've been basically talking about. But at the same time, it's the principles there. And then, it gives them, you know, plenty of, um, you know, alternatives and things where, you know, something might not be working or they might not have the equipment for things and all that. So that's coming up in um, in this coming year, which is, what, next month. So Yeah. Right? Right. Yep. Awesome. Quick. Thanks again, Ben. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, it. Appreciate Any, anytime, guys. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we'll definitely have you come on again. And your base, your facility is in Fairhope, Alabama. Are you taking on any new clients, Ben? Taking on new clients um, yeah, right now, right now, things? right now, and again, and this isn't a sales pitch. Right now, I am booked, but we do. We always have places in our in our men's and women's groups, as well as with our athletes. Obviously, you know, we've got um, we've got spots, and we can, you know, put them in in groups. But as far as one on one, and I know, you know, I'm sure you guys, I'm preaching to the choir here. As far as having time to work with people one on one anymore, those days are almost gone because I do keep a regular schedule of private clients that, um, you know, stay booked throughout the year, fortunately. And, um, you know, but there's always, always, it's always worth putting your name on that list, though. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Vince. You have a great day. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Vince. Thanks, Mike. Take care. And that, again, is our friend Vince McConnell. Again, it's www.mcconnelltraining.com. Has a bunch of information on there. He also has a great blog, so definitely keep up with what Vince is doing. It's always great to have someone like Vince come on the show who has such a perspective. I mean, 1983 I know, to now man. is quite, quite, a, quite a stretch. So yeah. I think it would be interesting to have him come back on again, and we can kind of talk about all the different trends he's seen come and go over the years in his career. I bet, yeah. I bet there's quite a few. Can you just imagine? He, I mean, he's around when guys are walking around with those zebra pants and, like, the, the spaghetti stripe, like, tank tops and – ponytails and bleached hair. <laughs> now, he, he's been around since you and I were waiting in line at the mall to see Return of the Jedi. 
you and I are coming out of ET. And he's I know. Like, like, <laughs> hey, dude, I just purchased my Thriller album. This guy's training clients. No, I'm sitting up here. I'm buying sequin gloves. You know, I'm trying to win dance contests. <laughs> I'm trying to use the force to make glasses. Move. Exactly. I'm looking at <laughs> first playing that bikini next to Jabba the Hutt, thinking like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I'm ready to go into the future and go into space if this is what it's all about, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have Carrie Fisher send you a picture of uh, her now. No, 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 no. I saw the picture, buddy. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. The quote, Rick James, cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> like, whoa, man, what happened? What happened? What happened? And what's killing me is that I think they're all returning for the next installment of Star Wars. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, and that's, I've seen Mark Hamill. I've seen Mark Hamill, and he's kind of taking, you know, the playing the Elephant Man a little to heart these days. He's looking pretty bad now. He's not looking very Luke Skywalkerish right now. CGI <laughs> is pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they can turn back the clock like thirty years off these people. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah. But folks, remember use coupon code LLA get ten percent off any of my nutrition supplements. Got the best testosterone booster around. Got recovery oil. Make sure you sleep well at night. Get restored, ready to go for training, and my Restorezyme product to alleviate sore joints, muscle pain, get faster recovery, and just overall health managing inflammation. And how about with your stuff, Sincere? What can they use that coupon code for? They can get the physical and digital copy of my bodyweight training DVD, and you'll get 30% off of that. Again, coupon code LLA when you go over to newwarriortraining.com, and you can get that, and it's a great stocking stuffer or a good hard drive stuffer if you get the digital version. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to wrap it up for today, folks. Keep those reviews coming. We're, we're actually – actually, you know what? You can keep Crunch the reviews time. coming. <laughs> Crunch time, reviews. baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't specify that – I mean, we have well over 100 reviews through our different mediums, Stitcher, iTunes, et cetera. But since I didn't specify that it was 100 reviews total, we'll keep this thing going. But we're at 89 now on Let's iTunes. do this. Let's do this. <laughs> so, man, we'll end this. We're going to end this when 2013 ends how about that i like that let's do how that. about you've got let's see right now by the time this show comes out yeah you've got about a week so you've got this week that you're listening to this show and then you got one more week after that and then it's a wrap no more keep the reviews right. coming though don't forget the magic formula subscribe then rate and review then download and listen and then share it you can keep doing that for eternity but like I said, you've got about another week after you hear this show. You got the week that you're hearing this show and the week after that. And then that's it as far as sending you guys a little hookup bonus for your reviews. But if you love the show, at this point it shouldn't matter. Don't you love us enough to give us the review? Really? Show, <laughs> show the love, man. Show the love. Let's just have a big Tony Robbins hug fest and just give us the love and the ratings and the reviews. How about that? And, uh, you know, make sure your reviews are descriptive, right? So, yeah. A, a review such as, these guys are awesome. I mean, we appreciate the t- you saying that, but the reviews that really count are the ones where people really get into why they like the show. Like some yeah. people said they really liked that episode with James Pond or they, they, they loved the episode with John Hines or Roger Cross, and they, they really explain how the show has affected them. And then right. sometimes people offer constructive criticism, which is perfectly fine. And we, we use a lot of that. That's why we're mm-hmm. both using upgraded microphones right now. Yep. So, so, so just take some, put some thought into it. You, know, you are getting yeah. some free gifts from here. So a, a review such as these guys are killer, keep up the great work, that's appreciated. But it doesn't really help anyone else who's thinking about whether they should listen to the show or not pull the trigger on it. Exactly. So don't forget, people, that you are part of this show. So when new people see us and they see us pop up and we're in, in um, what's hot in iTunes, which you know, we keep climbing up that chart each week, well, when people see that we're in what's hot, they want to understand why this show is hot. And so guess what? They're looking to you to understand that. So a lot of times they're looking at your review and they're going by your review. So guess what? That's what I do when I go and pick out my favorite podcast. And, and I know someone asked us during the, one of the Q&A shows that are coming up, for us to share our favorite podcast. Let me tell you, this is how I find the ones I want to listen to. I look at what people are saying. I don't necessarily go by just the person themselves or the name of the show or anything like that because a lot of times that can be a little tricky. You see the title of the show, like, oh, this sounds like a cool show. And then next thing you know, it sounds like, I mean, they're just sitting there and they're just, it seems like they're talking to themselves. I'm not really into schizophrenic radio. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I love psychology. You know, I have a background in it, but I, eh. This is one of the reasons why I, I didn't practice. I don't want to deal with that. So right. 
I look to the reviews for that. So you guys are helping a lot of people out there that are coming on board and want to check out the show. So your opinion are valued very much. So get them out there. All right. Thanks again, everyone. Keep up the great work, and we'll see you next week. Take care.